0: You're listening to the redeeming grace church podcast for more information about our church go to rgcrc.org the sermon text
1: this morning is genesis 1 1 through genesis 2 3. in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven. and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation.
0: All right, you can be seated. Thank you, Sarah. That was a long section. Oh, kids are dismissed to Kids Church. So who are they following? Right back there, Lily. So birth through kindergarten, I guess the ones who are real little are already up there, Sorry, I always forget to do that after the prayer. All right, so I can remember the first time I ever watched the movie The Matrix, which is over 20 years old now, it's hard to believe. But the first time I watched the, the movie The Matrix, I was, I was hanging out with some friends of mine, it was getting late at night, and I'd never seen it before, I'd heard kind of crazy things about this movie, and so I started watching it, and uh, I fell asleep like a few minutes into the movie. And, uh, and if my wife will tell you that that's not uncommon for me to fall asleep uh, during shows or movies. Um, and so I, I, I fell asleep right when he's about to, to take one of the two pills. And I fell asleep before I knew which pill he took. And then if you, if you know the movie, you get, I get to the end and all of a sudden he's answering a phone call and then flying off into space. And I was like, well, I missed something. I missed something. So somewhere between the beginning of that movie and the end of the movie, you don't need to know the movie, the point is is that when you catch just the beginning and the end, you kind of wonder like, oh, I missed something. And that's kind of a trippy movie, and we're about to step into kind of a confusing, um, I don't know if confusing is the right word, a very intricate text this morning. And what I, I want to do is we looked at Genesis 1-1 last week, and this week we're looking at more than one verse, we're looking at 34 verses today. So, um, but I want you to notice something as you open your Bibles to Genesis 1-1 is that we've got the beginning of the movie, and then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, I want to show you the end and, uh, and kind of go, okay, something's happening between these two points of time. One's kind of the beginning of the movie, one's kind of the end of the movie. And I just want us to look at those first to set up the framework then for what we're going to see in, uh, in chapter 1. So in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have an explanation of what the situation is after verse 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the description of the earth, the created earth there, is formless, void, and dark. Formless, void, and dark. And so that's the situation. Inhabitable would be a, a way to say this. is an inhabitable world that lacks life at this point. So that's the situation we have in 1-2. And then, if you were to skip to 2-1-3, through three, here is where the movie kind of ends. Uh, here's where this narrative, this section of the narrative ends, Genesis 2-1-3. through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So in Genesis 1, we've got this God who creates everything. And the situation there is that it's inhabitable. There's not life. There's not really even the ability to have animated life there yet. But then in just we've got a seventh day where everything is complete and rested. So like what, what happens between the two of those? I want you to see the beginning. This is the situation that we're at in verses in, in 1-2. And here is where we're going to end in 2, 1 through 3, with God resting and completing. And now you have a fully functioning ecosystem that God approves of. You kind of have his his lack of approval, so to speak, at the beginning there. There's still work that needs to be done. Now you have the completion of that work. And I want us to see that middle part of the movie. So we go from formless and void and dark in verse 2, at the beginning of chapter 1, verse 2. And then we go to finished, blessed, and restful. Um, in, the, in chapter two, verses one through three. And between there, we've got apparently six days because chapter two says there's, this is the seventh day. So God's going to change that situation in six days from formless, void, and dark to finished, blessed, and restful, enjoyable, delightful, approved of. And so that's the beginning and the end of the movie. And that's where this narrative is headed as we go from there. So last week, we looked at just one verse. And we remember, maybe some of the kids and some of the adults kind of remember, that we see from Genesis 1 that we have two categories of existence. We have First of all, we have one who is in the uncreated category, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible doesn't argue for the existence of God. It just starts with the existence of God. In the beginning, the beginning of time and space and everything, there is a being who is already present, Elohim. We also have that there is another category of existence called what? The created things, right? And we see that there is only one Elohim who is in the uncreated category. And everything else is in the created category. And we learned that this creator, we learned six things from verse 1. That this creator is eternal. He predates the beginning. He has no beginning in and of himself. He is eternal forever. He predates time. He's outside of time. He supersedes time. He's eternal. He is sufficient. He's not dependent on anything else to exist. Everything else depends on him to exist, but he exists of himself. Theological word is aseity. He is ase, he is from himself. God himself is the only thing that depends entirely on himself to exist. He's eternal. He's sufficient. He's necessary. Without him, there is nothing else that exists. Without this being, there is no beginning. There is no existence. There is no life. He alone is necessary. He's also sovereign since he made it. He's king of it. He's in charge of it. If he made it, it's his. He has ownership rights over everything. He is sovereign. He is king over everything. We also saw that he is is omnipotent. He can speak things into existence as we'll see here. And he's transcendent. He's outside of his creation. He's not dependent on it like the other pagan gods of the time. He is not dependent on his creation but actually stands outside of it and can do work in it. He stands outside of it while being present in it. So we saw all of those six things about this creator, uh, this one uncreated one who creates everything. And then we saw that everything in this category, which is the heavens and the earth, just means everything, is in the created category that's dependent on that one being, owned by that one being, determined by that that one being, designed by that one being. So we saw all of that in verse 1. Now in verse 2, We begin to see a little bit of the how. How does God create order out of this mass here? He's created the heavens and the earth, and now we've got the potter before the wheel, and we've got this unformed lump of clay, so to speak. And he's going to now take this formless, void, dark mass called the earth, and he's going to make it habitable. And by the time we get to chapter 2, we're going to have a fully functioning ecosystem with life that God approves of and rests and delights in. So we're going to see this God move. We're going to see this God speak. That's the title of our message, the God who speaks, the God who speaks. So let's walk through this text together. I just want you to have the, hopefully you have a copy of scripture right in front of you and let's walk. We've kind of seen the beginning of the movie. We know how the movie's going to end. Let's walk the plot line through this. And this is um, some of the most mysterious, um, mind-blowing scripture. Uh, this is probably the most debated scripture, the most contested scripture uh, and so, we're going to do our best in one sermon to try to wring out what we need to know from this text. So, uh, let's start. First of all, we see that the situation is formless and void. Keep those two categories in your head formless and void. Hebrew, it's, it's, it's tohu vavohu. Formless, tohu, vohu, void. Formless and void. Think of those two categories formless and void, because in days one through three, he's going to address tohu, formless. And in days four through six, he is going to address vohu. vohu, void. It lacks shape, it's inhabitable, it lacks life in the second three. And so that's the framework for the text here. In days one through three, he's going to address the formlessness. In days four through six, he's going to address the voidness, the emptiness of it. So let's look at day one, uh, Genesis 1, 3 through 5. So the earth is formless and void. The spirit is hovering over the deep, over the waters. So you see already this sense of God the Father, and you've got a spirit. You've now got a spirit that's somewhat distinct. The spirit of God is now distinct, so we've got this multiplicity. We're going to see that come up a little bit, where God is somehow a singularity and a plurality at the same time, and you've got this anticipation. The spirit of God is anticipating and about to take action in forming this world. And so here we go. Here is what this God, the uncreated one, does to the created stuff. How does he go about creating? Genesis 1, day 1. Genesis 1, 3 through 3-5. It starts with this, verse 3. And God said, this is a God who speaks. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Created ex nihilo, out of nothing. He speaks and it bees. That's what it says. Literally in Hebrew, and God said, let there be light and light bead. Literally. Light just bead. He said it it existed instantaneously. And God saw that the light was good. So you have a God who speaks and a God who sees, right? We're going to come back to that in a minute. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So here we have light and darkness are made, and I would say the world is then set in motion, begun to spin. Now we have days. We have morning and evening, these time markers of when the sun will shine on this part of the earth and when it will rotate and not be seen anymore. Light and darkness are separated, and we've got the realm of the cosmos. We've got We've got the realm created. The formless now has some form. There's a light and a dark that is outside of the earth. Light and darkness are made. The world is set in motion. And we have the forming of the realm of outer space here. God names and defines the realm of light and dark as day and night. So God assigns assigns a name and a function to each of these two complementary parts. Remember we saw that, we mentioned that last week, that God creates in these complementary Parts. okay so day one the forming addressing the tohu the formlessness is now there is a form that surrounds the earth day number two genesis 1 through 1 6 through 8 and god said let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters and god made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it bead it was so and God said, the, God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So now we've zoomed in from the cosmos and what's outside the earth, and now he's creating atmosphere. He's taking the water, and there's waters above in the firmament. There's an atmosphere being created here. There's a realm of sky, and there is also now a realm of water that's on the ground. You've got you've got vapor, you've got water vapor, and then you've got water liquid, and you've got this expanse in between. We have call it atmosphere. God creates and takes and addresses the formlessness of the outer space. Now he's created a realm of outer space. He's created a realm of, of atmosphere around the earth. And God called the expanse heaven and earth, and there was morning, uh, uh, called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. So God names and defines the realms of Sky and water. Day number three, Genesis 1, 9 through 13. And God said, he speaks again, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. So now we have a separating between the land and the water. And it was so, it beed. God called the dry land earth. He assigns a name to it. And the waters were gathered in one place, and he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, "Ooh, now we have a second act that's happening on day three. That's meant to get our attention. There is something about the creation of this realm that's supposed to get our attention. God does twice the work, so to speak. God does two distinct acts here. One, he separates the water from the earth and makes dry land, a habitable space. And then he acts again. He does a second act on day three God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it beed. It was so. The, Lord, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. So now we have, we've zoomed in a little bit more. We've gone from outer... Space, the realm of outer space, light and dark. We've now got an atmosphere around this earth, and now God has created two distinct realms. You've got the water realm, the seas, and now you've got habitable ground. You've got earth. And then God does this second act of creating and producing sustenance. There is something that can sustain. God creates a sustaining in this earth part, this ground part, that's meant to get our attention. This double work is meant to direct our attention to go, God is zooming us in. And what's going to happen in the filling of day three is meant to, we're meant to anticipate that. God has created fruit trees and vegetation because he has something that he wants to draw our attention to that he's going to fill on day three that is going to be especially important. So this is meant to get our attention in day three, the extra work that God does here, because when he fills it in day six, there's a purpose for why he has gone to this extra work of filling it with vegetation and sustenance. So there's special provisions, special furnishings that are happening on day three uh, that we are to notice. So here we are three days in and God has addressed Tohu. There now is form. It's not formless. It's now got form. It's got shape. It's got definition. It's got assignment. It's got names. There's now a outer space. There's now a a atmosphere that's conducive to be able to fill it with something and you've got land you've got a, a landmass where there can now be habitation so God has now made the world habitable it's a bit like a painter who has now prepared his canvas he's prepared it just right so now that it can receive the paint it can now be filled so now we're go- now God we have a transition in day three to day four where God now is going to address Vohu the void the emptiness So the earth is still void in the sense that it lacks what God wants it to lack. He's going to populate it. And he's going to populate the realms that he created in days 1 through 3. Hang in there with me. Day 4, look what he populates day 1 with. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. And let that be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, it beed. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. I just find that fascinating that the rest of the massive universe we have gets a couple words. Oh yeah, and he threw out a billion galaxies while he was at it. Which just shows like, just how great God is. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. So now we've got that day one realm that God now formed. God formed in day one. He fills it. He fills it in day four. And now, the light that he created is now going to emanate from created things. The sun, the moon, the stars. And they have assignments. The sun and the moon and the stars are meant to be, to put light on the earth so that you can now navigate time. So they have an assignment. It's not random that God just threw these things out there. They're, they're intended to be signs of seasons and being able to navigate, being able to Uh, mark time and be able to serve the relationship they have with their God over time. And so one question that comes up, probably one of the biggest questions, is how do you have light in day one without the sun in day four? You've already got days, but you don't have a sun. And we track time in terms of solar days, right? How can you have solar days happening? How can you have light if there's not the sun? And uh, I don't know. But we are still considering a God who can speak things into existence so I don't have any problem with the idea that God who can speak these things into existence could also create light without the sun in fact I think he intends that I think God did it this way because almost every pagan religion worships the sun and God wants to make sure that light and life comes from him not the sun the sun is dependent on him, and even the light from the sun is a creation of God, not a creation of the sun. I think there's a theological reason why God kind of breaks our brains a little bit here and goes, that doesn't logically make sense, because I think he is making a theological point here. I think God did create light and began to send the earth spinning in, in these days that we would recognize these solar days without yet the sun to show that we don't worship the sun. This would be a this would be a polemic this would be an argument against the paganism that the Israelites are going to face everywhere they go. Light before sun this is a deliberate in Egypt the pharaoh himself is a representation of the sun god Ra. You don't worship the sun. In fact, light is and isn't what creates life. God does. God defines reality. God defines light. And there is something about the nature of light that is mysterious to us. It's somehow a wave and a particle. Like we really haven't figured out light itself. There's something, there's something mysterious about light, the speed with which light travels, what it can do, what it's made of, how it works. And there's something about that I think God actually keeps to himself. And I think that's distinguished here. In John 1, 1 through 5, listen to how this describes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So there's a sense in which Jesus takes on the characteristics of light in and of himself. I think there's something about light that works its way through Scripture that God says, that's especially mine. That doesn't come from the sun. that comes from me. And I think we have a God, a cosmic God who can speak anything into existence that is, I think, challenging our understanding and the gods of the time to go, no, I am the source of light. I am the source of light. I think that's part of what's going on. There might be other solutions as well. But John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse John 1.5, and this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. So I think there's a theological reason why God is doing it this way. And I don't have a great naturalistic explanation to you, but I don't know. The whole chapter is supernatural, right? So I think it's worth wrestling with, but I think there's a theological reason why God's like, I'm going to do it this way to make a point. And I'm going to do it in such a way that they can only attribute it to me. Listen to Revelation 21, 23 through 25, when God remakes the whole cosmos Listen to the description of it. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Interesting. God does this massive work at the beginning and it's meant to at least kind of put a, put a rock in our shoe, a little clue, that at the end, there'll be no need for sun there. The glory of God will be the light. There's something about light that God wants to reserve for himself. And then he creates these luminaries who are meant to kind of represent him in that way. He provides his light to us via the sun, but the sun is not the source of life, should not be worshiped. He is the source of light and life. Makes sense? I think there's a theological reason why God's doing it this way. And we have debated this for a thousand years, how that works. <laughs> Everyone's like, how does that work? How do you have days without the sun? How do you have light without the sun? And I think God's like, yep, I do what I want, right? <laughs> and I'm making a point. So maybe that's, um, I don't know. There's, there's other things to consider there as well. But that's, to me, seems to be maybe what God is doing here. Day five. And day five, we have the filling of the realms created on day two, atmosphere, waters above, waters below, atmosphere and seas. So birds and, wa- uh, yeah, birds and water creatures are filling the sky and the water uh, formed on day two. Okay, so here we go, verses 20 through 23. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the, earth, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So the realm created in day two is now filled with animated life. This is, this is crazy. You have decision-making beings now. That can reproduce. You have animation. Like, just think about this. You have consciousness in some sense here. Or you've got, and a blessing tied to multiplication. You now have, you you know, the sun can't reproduce itself. Stars, I guess, in some measure can, but they're not animated. They're not decision making. They can't reproduce in that sense, and God blesses them. Verse 22 God blesses this animated this consciousness that now exists in these creatures and they have a certain command to reproduce that gives God unique glory in this particular realm God is kind of up the ante here he's created the stars and the cosmos and the universe and that's magnificent and mind-blowing and unexplainable now he's created animated life that now fills the realms of the sky and the sea and then in day six we've got the double on day three remember We've got the double work on day three that's meant to get our attention. Do we now have a double work on day six? We do. The clue given in day three is going to shine now and grab our attention in day six. We have the filling of the realm of the land that was created on day three. We have it now filled on day six. Verses 24 through 31. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so and god made the beasts in the earth according to their kinds beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps along the ground according to its kind and god said that it was good then god said let us make man in our image ah we've got a second act here don't we now we know what the vegetation and the fruit trees were for not just for these animated animals but there's actually a second act that god is doing on day 6 and now god is having a dialogue with himself Now we have him actually speaking, and I think the us here is the triune God. We don't know that. The rest of Scripture has to fill that out for us. But we have God talking among himself, and he uses the plural, let us make man. So you have this conscious decision of God to do a special work here. And look at this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's going to be a God-like creature, a God-imaging creature. That's now going to be put on this habitable planet. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock. And over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Think about this. When you go into a pagan temple. You see images of the gods. Here we have God who's making animated images of himself in the world. This means that the cosmos is a temple of worship to God. And the pagans put, the, the, the pagans are imitating this God by putting images that you worship in there. God's putting images who do worship and lead the cosmos to worship in his cosmic temple. That's going to be a theme. When you get to the end of Revelation, you have the whole world is now a temple now a city and a place of worship so this is this is this would really be mind-blowing to them is that we are not creatures that worship images of the gods we are in the image of the one true god and given the responsibility to lead the whole world in worship this is this earth is a temple filled with animated images image bearers of the one true god and God blessed them, verse 28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielded seed sea that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now we know why he created those. Sustenance for his image bearers. That, he, that they might fill and rule the earth, that they might be like God in the world and direct worship to God. <clears throat> and it was so it beed, verse 30. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God is exceptionally pleased in what he has made. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Here it is, animals and image bearers. The supreme creation, the representation of God is now in his created temple. And these animated image bearers now have a task to do. And they're created in a complementary binary, male and female, sharing in the image of God. We're going to unpack that next week, of what this looks like. That they would image God as male and female and that they would be, have both a blessing and a command upon them and why this is very good. We're going to look at that next week, and the special responsibility and authority they have on the earth before God. And then we have day seven. The work doesn't end in day six. Well, the work does end in day six, but there's a day seven, which means that mankind is not the point of creation. God is. There's a day where God just simply enjoys himself. The point of creation isn't man. The point of creation is God. And there is a day that's just for his own pleasure. And he's going to bring that up when he gives them the Ten Commandments that God created the world in seven days, and the seventh day is set apart as holy to just delight in the work of God, a day for the worship of God. And God himself sets an example for humanity and then also goes, there's one whole day where it's just me all of creation and me, right? And I think that's part of the point there. Humanity, you're not the point of creation, I am. You don't even get a whole day of creation, right? But there's a whole day just to me and you're to, to honor that, to respect that, to set that as holy. So there we go. We have the seven days of creation from beginning tohu vavohu, formless and void, to now filled finished restful and it's all about God the whole way through all right, I want to take a few minutes I don't want to take very long on this but this is such a question that comes up so I want to just very briefly just in a few minutes lay out for you just some of the ways that different Christians throughout time have tried to reconcile some of the questions that come up in Genesis particularly as you relate to the age of the earth so let me just go ahead and give you the options I'll kind of tip my hand I already have tipped my hand on what I think but I want to just go ahead and lay them out for you. And then you can, for your own consideration, research them yourself. And I'll, I'll kind of show you which ones I think um, are. Um, every of one of these theories has challenges in terms of what it re- how it relates to modern science or how it relates to logic. Like all of them. It's just a matter of what, pro- <laughs> what problems you're willing to live with. And as someone who is a Bible and theology person, my priority is not to try to make modern science happy, but to make sure that the Bible is consistent in its theology. Okay, So I want to be fair about the questions that are here. I also want you to know that my thought is that this is God's word, this is unchanging, and um, and so I'm going to lean here when it comes to a conflict. Does that make sense? So here we go. Let me just throw them out there for you, and you can research them yourself. Um, And I'm going to go from, I'm kind of putting these in the order. Um, I think it's on the next slide there. I'm going to work from the bottom to the top and I'm going to go what I think is least likely to most likely. So I'll tip my hand here but you can research these yourself if you want and see how they actually match up with scripture. One, or number seven actually is, is the, the theory of the, theistic evolution and this is the belief that the naturalistic processes that are described by modern science uh, happened exactly that way and God simply directed it. God directed those. So, the, the Darwinian evolutionary pattern, it's just that God was at the center of that. So that's theistic evolution very basically. Um, I find that the one the most problematic, but you can research that yourself. Secondly is the gap theory. And this is a theory that there is a gap between verse 1 and 2 in Genesis 1. That God created a fully functioning ecosystem. And then at the fall of Satan, he went and made it Tohu Vavohu. So there was a time when the world was functioning and created and all these great, you know, the world was operating as it should, and then at the fall of Satan, he went and destroyed it, and God's doing a second creation work in Genesis 1-2. I don't find that one very compelling because I just don't see that, that, um, any evidence that that's how that happened, but that's one. That's the gap theory. Another is what's called the punctuated 24-hour theory. And this is that the days in Genesis are literal 24-hour solar days, but there's big gaps in between them. That God let things kind of roll for a while, and then he was like, on one day, he went ahead and did this big work. So this, these, this punctuated, you know, creation day. So it's trying to preserve both the fact that modern science says that the earth is, like, super old, but you've got these single days. Well, maybe there's big gaps between the days. Okay. That's punctuated 24-hour theory. The day-age theory is that the six days of creation are not referring to literal days, but are referring to ages. So those a day might be a million years, 10 million years, a billion years. That it's just referring to an era. And uh, the text that they would go to is, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a, and a thousand years is like a day. So God might be meaning here that the progression of the world, the evolutionary processes, the old age of the earth... That maybe Genesis 1 is not speaking of literal days, but long ages. And it's just kind of poetically putting it in a form that we would understand. That's the day-age theory. There's also the framework interpretation, which is that this is not meant to be a literal, chronological explanation of God creating the world. But it's meant to be a theological, artful arrangement of displaying theological truths. So this is, a, this is not meant to give us a bunch of facts about the order in which God created. It's just meant to point us to God did create, and here's some lessons we need to learn from that. That's the framework interpretation. And then there's historic creationism, and this, is the, this theory postulates that in Genesis 1-1, God creates a fully functioning universe, and no one really knows how long that went. It could have been just for an instant, could have been for a long time. And then what God is doing in the six days of creation is simply preparing a land, particularly the promised land or the Garden of Eden. So then in days, he's creating in six literal days, but he's creating just this localized land, this promised land, this Garden of Eden. And so it's, it's viewing the world from that perspective. So now when you have the sun appearing in day four, that's because God brought it out from under the waters and he's preparing this habitation. So that one's kind of a fascinating one. Um, to think about Um, and I have a book on that and it's it's more faithful to the text than it might appear at the moment here Uh, I don't ultimately find it convincing and so if you want to know more about historic creationism it doesn't really state a um, a particular it isn't really dependent on a particular age of the earth and it's just it's kind of a fascinating approach to the text there that is uh, is more consistent than it might appear but I ultimately don't find it convincing. I am in the literal 24-hour day theory camp is that I think that it's literal 24-hour days that God's creating and that the earth is younger than it appears. I think God created a mature earth um, that was already functioning. Adam and Eve can already speak at the very beginning. So the whole language learning process, they're able to already speak. He's got vegetation. He's got stars that I think already have light on the way because the point was that the stars would give light for for seasons and for, so I think God is doing all of this in a literal time frame. I think God created a mature ecosystem. I think the flood that we'll learn about in Genesis 6 through 9 totally changed the game to where it's really hard to fully understand what the world was like prior to the flood. So I think the geological stuff is hard to, I don't know that the world functioned exactly like it did before the flood. And I think that science changes its opinion all the time as part of the nature of science is that it changes its opinion all the time. So if you have questions about this, I'd be happy to, to, to talk with you about it. And uh, this is just to kind of give you a framework that if you wanted to Google some of these, line them up against the text and go, which one makes the most sense? And, then, and, then, and it's not a grab bag. One of these is true. <laughs> one of these is true, right? Which one best reflects what the scripture says? So I just wanted to acknowledge that here and give you a little bit of a, a, and I can give you some resources if you want to kind of know what makes the most sense here, but I just want to lay that on the table. getting this for a while, and I think they've come up with a number of theories, and each of them has their challenges, and each of them solves other challenges. Here's what I want us to think about regarding this, though. Job 38. Job 38, 1 through 12. As we think about the controversies and the questions and the mysteries that come up in Genesis 1, I think God intends them to be there. The narrative tight and compact and direct, and it doesn't answer all of our questions. And in the book of Job, when God comes before Job, and Job has his questions for God, of God, why are you allowing me to suffer? This is unjust. And Job kind of gets bold and almost a little um, a little angry with God. And when God confronts Job, notice where he goes in Job 38. Listen to this. Then Job finally answers Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So you just imagine God showing up going, Okay, you wanted to have a meeting with me to discuss your life situation? Let's have a meeting. Let's think about who is in charge here. And listen to how he starts. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Let's see who's qualified here to run the universe. And here's what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy and who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds its garment and thick and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? What does God appeal to when he wants to put man in his place? creation of the world and there's meant to be like oh yeah I wasn't there I don't know right when God wants to get Job's attention and you see that throughout scripture God will regularly appeal to his creative acts as a way to be able to go who's qualified to question who here right so I want us to come and ask our questions but I also want us to realize we're walking on holy ground here And the God regularly goes, yeah, I didn't tell you everything because one, you couldn't handle it. Two, I'm God. Three, you're not God, right? So I don't mean that in any way to try to put down some of the challenges that come with this text, but God does appeal to what happens in this text as a way to be able to go, okay, I am not qualified here to render a hard judgment on God here. Does that make sense? I'm meant to stand in awe and go, ooh, yeah. And that's what Job does. Job's like, I shut my mouth, I'm done talking. You're qualified to run the world and explain how you did it. I am not qualified for that. So I just want that to be the disposition by which we enter these conversations. Because I think we can kind of rage in and go, I know it all. And it's like, be careful. I think the text leads us to conclusions. But we have to be careful in these discussions because God goes, yeah, that's my realm that's not your realm and you weren't there you don't know so you have to you have to leave those in my hands right he doesn't answer those questions for job he uses those questions to help job realize his place before god make sense okay and if you think about it in christianity we have things like the trinity we have things like the virgin birth the incarnation and resurrection so we have all kinds of things in our bible that don't match up (laughs) with what we observe right this is a mysterious, transcendent God who I think on purpose puts us in a place where we have to just go, I don't, I, I don't know. But you do, and I'm going to believe what you said, and I'm going to be happy with that. Make sense? Okay. Conclusion. Let's conclude this um, message here. And I want you to realize that Genesis 1, I want you to look at this for just a moment. I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff in the text here. That this chapter is about God. Who is the primary character of Genesis 1? It's God. God is the point of Genesis 1. God, Elohim, is used 35 times in these, what, 34 verses? And the word he, also referring to God, occurs another nine times. So in 34 verses, 44 times, God and his work is is mentioned. This is meant to get our attention not on the cosmos or the universe or the age of the earth. This is meant to get our eyes on the God who speaks. Right? It's to get our eyes on the God who does all of this. The uncreated one who's all these character qualities and we're over here in this category, in the created category. So it's not the earth and how old it is or even how God exactly did all the detail work. The point of the text is not humanity and how distinct we are, but the God in whose image we're made. This is meant to point us to God. So I've got three points for you here. Three lessons from this text. God creates and sustains life by his word. At the beginning of each day, what does God do? He speaks and it bees. He speaks. God creates by his word. Ten times, God said. If you fast forward in the Bible, you'll see that God's word is at the center of life. God's word is what creates life. Spiritual life. We see it here that it creates the physical life God's word does. And that's meant to point us to the fact that God's word also creates spiritual life. If you were to go to Ezekiel 37, he tells Ezekiel in a vision to go and, pro- and to prophesy over these dead bones. There had been a battle that had happened in this valley and there's all these skeletons still down there. And Ezekiel is to go and prophesy over them. He's, go- he's to speak God's word over them. And in the vision, the bones begin to rattle and flesh comes up. And and their bodies are put back together, meaning that it's God's word that creates life. God creates life by his word. When Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You're not sustained by bread, but by the word of God. Lazarus, in John 11, when Jesus comes up to the tomb, what does he say? Does he go do CPR? Speaks, Lazarus, come out. There's some that have said that if he had not specified Lazarus, every dead person would have recognized, would have come out of the grave. Jesus' word has divine power to give life. If he'd have just said, come out, every dead person would have come alive. But he had to specify, Lazarus, you have life now, come out. And he does. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. People cannot be saved unless they hear the word of God in the gospel because the word creates life it's the power of God into salvation eternal spiritual life is created and stained sustained by the word of God so live by his word that would be your application live on and by his word God creates and sustains life by his word and still does and here's his word live by it this creates life sustains life his word the Bible the God who speaks, creates, and sustains life by his word. Secondly, God designs and assigns roles by his will. You notice that? He creates by his word, and then he assigns their responsibilities and their realm. Look at God. the word God made happens five times in the text. God separated in, it happens two times in the text. God calls or names, assigns, gives identity to something five times in the text. And it says that God set one time as well. And so you have these complementary pairs, right? And things are given their assignment. God designs and assigns roles for his glory. The bird can't do what the fish can do. And the fish can't do what the land animal can do. And the human can't do what the fish does. Like each has its assigned role given by God. And God assigns humanity, male and female, for a role, for a purpose, for an identity and he calls it very good. The fact that one thing can do something that another thing can't, the, thing that, the fact that one is assigned something and the other one is not assigned something is all declared very good by God. The realm and the inhabitants of those realms, God assigns, God determines, God gives the role, and he declares it very good, both for the creation and for his own glory. And so we need to realize that God has assigned us for a purpose. God has an identity for us. We don't get to determine our own identity and purpose. God assigns that. He's named us. He has a function for us. And it is very good for us to step into that identity and that role. Your identity and assignment in the world is God's gift to you that is very good. So live and enjoy his will for you. And don't be jealous of some other assignment that God has given someone else. You have your role and your assignment that is good before God. Adam and Eve are going to fall because they are not content with what God's assigned to them. And that's what got us into this mess. And we're just like our heavenly parent or our first parents, Adam and Eve, in that we become discontented with the realm and the role God has given us. And what is very good is for us to appreciate and embrace the design and the assignment that God has given us by his will and to see it as very good. Thirdly, God sees and judges everything according to his standard. You notice that? Every one of the days has God seeing, and in that seeing, he renders a judgment. It's good, right? God sees and judges everything in his creation. He sees it all. God saw, happens seven times in the text. God blessed, he renders a judgment, so to speak. He's blessing them in three times in the text. says God's finished, God rested. God sees and judges everything. You might not like the idea of a God who evaluates things. That is the God of the Bible, who sees everything and renders a verdict on those things. And at this point, everything meets his approval, is up to his standard. Nothing escapes his sight. Nothing escapes his evaluation. The final day is about God in day seven, which means that it all begins in God's good pleasure in Genesis 1.1. He doesn't need to create anything. He's not lonely. He doesn't need to do this. He desires to do it. And then he is very pleased, he evaluates it as very good on day seven. It's all about him and things being pleasing to him. It's about his glory and his pleasure over all other things. So here is the reality is that for Christians, all, all are under the eye and judgment of God. And God has made a way for us to be approved. And that's through Christ. We repent of our sin. We trust in Christ and we now get the declaration of being very good in God's sight by his righteousness. Our sin is cleansed and we are brought into him. And so we can experience the the seeing eye of God and receive his approval by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the New Testament application there. But we have to realize that we do have a God who sees and judges everything according to his standard. Not your standard, but his standard. And everything stands under, under judgment. And here in Genesis 1, we see a positive verdict. But if God is seeing your life, would he render a positive verdict? Apart from Christ, the answer would be no. But for those who trust in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And I just want to take you to a couple New Testament texts as we close here. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Notice this. And see if you don't notice a Genesis 1 connection here. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But look at verse 15. Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you see a spirit hovering over water? You do. Just like you did in Genesis 2. The Tohu Vavohu. The formless and void has a God who's hovering over it, anticipating the work he is about to do. Here, we have a spirit hovering over the new creation, Jesus, who is coming up out of the water. And is going to be the the author of a new creation. And then you have a voice from heaven. The God who creates by his word, speaks and says, this is my son. And he is very good. I'm well pleased in him. You have the, it is good. He saw that it was good. And we're meant to see a little bit of a Genesis picture here is that there is a new creation work that is going to be centered on this Jesus. That the spirit hovering over the water landing on what's about to happen with this man and a voice from heaven that's going to be a new creation, new life is going to come from this one. We have Genesis 1 being remade, redone by the work of Jesus. And we saw that in Colossians 1. He's the firstborn. By him, all things were created. We have the creator doing a new creation work. And this baptism is meant to picture here is that, oh, this is Genesis 1 happening again. God hasn't given up on his sinful creation and this is the one who's gonna pull it off. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Does that sound like Genesis? Day one. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God In the face of Jesus Christ. When you come to see who Jesus is and believe in Him for eternal life, it is just as profound a miracle as when God created the universe. God is doing a greater miracle by bringing you to salvation. The light that shines in your heart in the face of Jesus is more profound than the light from the sun and creates life in you. The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness also said look to christ and be saved the life that i created is nothing compared to the light that I, the life and life i'm going to create in your soul god will form and fill you he will deal with the tohu and vavohu of your life the formless and void he will assign you an identity and a purpose he will restore his image he will give you his approval he will assign his blessing His calling upon you comes through the face of Jesus Christ and he destines you for eternal rest with him. Do you see how this is picked up in the rest of the Bible? He gives you the eternal seventh day through Jesus Christ. It's meant to point us to what God is going to do through Christ. Last one, Hebrews 4, 9 through 13. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So Hebrews is going to take that day seven concept at the beginning of chapter 2, Genesis 2. And he's going to say there remains a sabbath for the rest for the p- rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that eternal rest with God, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then he speaks of God's word, the God who speaks, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, the God who sees. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. He's going to render a judgment. But we can enter the rest. We can be declared very good by trusting in Christ. Christ is the point of this. Christ is the light. Christ is the life. Christ is the image of God the one who restores the image of God in us, the one who merges from the water and receives God's approval and brings new creation. So today, turn from your sin and trust in the one who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin, and rose again that you might have new life with him, a new creation in him. So the point of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 in the whole Bible is all about the great who of creation, God, Elohim, and the great why of creation for his own pleasure and glory, and that we might be with him in eternal rest. So live by his word, the God who speaks. Enjoy his will and the assignment that he has given you as a good gift from God for you. And rest in his approval in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. and. Oh, That's a lot of content and a lot to cover, and I thank you for the patience of my friends here to to hear these words, and I pray, God, that these words would sink deep into their hearts. Whatever was of you and was faithful to the text, I pray that it would stick and it would be believed and embraced, and whatever I said that might not accord with your word, I pray that it would easily be forgotten and would make no difference at all. God, we pray that your word would press into our hearts and that, that we would realize that we Uh, can be brought into your eternal rest. We can be made right with you. We can have the light of Christ in our hearts, giving us life if we will turn in faith and trust in him. God, thank you that you are a God who creates by your word, gives assignments according to your will, and judges according to your good pleasure. And thank you that all of those are good news for those that are in Christ. God, help us to believe in Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen.